who ultimately pays for that risk, for those risky outcomes that may come to pass, is entirely, entirely bound up in one thing and one thing only. It's the contract. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with a mission to propel this great industry forward. My guest today is Josh Levy, co-founder and CEO of Document Crunch. Josh spent much of his career building upon extensive leadership and expertise counseling the construction industry. He started his career as a lawyer focusing on complex construction litigation and evolved into a full service construction practitioner but realized that he was much more attracted to the business of construction. Welcome to the show, Josh. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Todd. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. So, uh, A, kind of how'd you get into the construction industry? And then B, how does a a lawyer become contact startup (laughs) entrepreneur? Uh, probably the the correlation between lawyer to entrepreneur is, is much more explainable than how I ended up in the construction industry. But I'll start from the top. So uh, I grew up in the South Florida area, really didn't have any connection to construction at all. My dad w- had been in construction for a little bit, but I didn't really have much of an interest in it, wasn't really you know planning to do much with it. I ended up going to the University of Florida um, and as a freshman at orientation, the, the university, I wonder if they still do, but they had a funny policy where you had to declare a major like within three days of being on campus. So I didn't really know much, but I had to go uh, and, you know, to a bunch of presentations of like the various majors that were there. And I sat down in the construction management, um, you know, the, the Rinker Schools presentation. And at that time in 2001, it was really during the boom. And they were touting, you know, 100% job placement, uh, what a great program it was. So I kind of just on a chance signed up. I was like, all right, that sounds cool. You know, my dad had been in construction. So I was, you know, I was just signed up as a freshman, not really knowing much. Ended up being the most fortuitous decision I probably could have made professionally. Uh, that degree at the, from the Rinker School at UF has just paid dividends time and again for me, including my foray into a legal practice and then ultimately into um starting my own construction tech company. So it's been a, it's been a journey, but I did not, I wish I could say that I had some foresight when I picked that major, uh, but I did not. So how did I end up from a lawyer to an entrepreneur? That I think is a lot more explainable. Uh, so I end up in the construction school in Florida. Um, I did internships for several really big contractors. It was hundred percent job placement when I graduated 2005. Um, I just decided I was not super passionate about being a project manager. That just wasn't the track I wanted to go on, having had a little bit of that internship experience. Um, So I did what a lot of confused kids do. And after a couple of years, actually stint in sales with a startup company, I went to law school, Um, ended up uh, graduating when the economy had completely turned. And really the only field uh, that was hot at that time as a, as a young lawyer was construction litigation down in the South Florida area where, where I'm from. I, I went to the University of Miami Law School. So anyway, um, ended up practicing exclusively construction law, uh, started in private practice for a couple of really great law firms <clears throat> where my practice was entirely focused around representing big builders, around construction disputes, ended up transitioning that practice as times got a little bit better into doing more of the transactional work in and around construction projects 
ultimately I went in house with a really large contractor, which is what brought me to uh, where we are located, Todd. I'm in Atlanta now for seven years because I went from private practice in house with a really large builder. Um, and I guess really to answer your question directly, all of these experiences counseling the construction industry and various stakeholders interacting with them throughout the industry, what I realized was our industry just has a really big problem around understanding and managing and dealing with their contracts. And it was such a big problem that I started searching uh, as I was reading about how technology was starting to be utilized really in the legal profession. I started searching just for some technology that would help me uh, you know, be a more effective in-house lawyer um, for this large contractor. And what I quickly realized, Todd, was there was two gaps as I went through that search. And I went through it with my co-founder, Adam, who is still the managing partner of my old law firm, um, best construction law firm in the country. He's down in South Florida. And he and I were doing this together, just as friends, looking to make him more efficient in his practice and me more efficient in my practice. But we were just kicking around some ideas and we quickly came to two realizations. One, there was no technology that was specifically focused on making construction contracts more simple for the construction industry, which is its own unique set of contracts. Mm-hmm. But two, more importantly than even that, all of the technology tools that were out there and that we were kind of looking at were tailor-made to help lawyers be more efficient. And I was looking around across my entire career and guess who I did not mostly interact with in counseling the construction industry, Todd? I didn't mostly interact with lawyers. I mostly interacted with construction professionals, folks that you know weren't necessarily as sophisticated around this stuff as I was in my profession, um, but that I believed could utilize technology to be better and understand a lot of the stuff that they were like maybe over relying on me for. Mm-hmm. And it's really those two gaps that really led to the founding of Document Crunch. You know, our mission is to make uh, construction contracts more simple for the entire industry. And, you know, my vision is that everyone would have access to contract intelligence that used to only reside in people like mine, you know, my brain and the ability to help leverage technology to make everyone, everyone in the construction industry a little bit smarter around this stuff, I believe will lead to a more profitable industry where A, there's less risk or unreasonable risk, I should say, in contracts and therefore less liability. B, less transaction costs associated with, you know, negotiating deals. C, project managers that, you know, are better at administering and complying with their contracts day to day. And, you know, D, ultimately, all that would lead to more efficient scheduling and more efficient pricing, which means we'd have a more profitable industry. So all that is the vision that led me to finding Document Crunch when I was sitting there for over a decade, you know, kind of just observing as a bystander how, uh, much of maybe there was a gap between those people who understood this stuff and those people who did it. And the vast majority of the people fell in the latter category, not the former. Yeah. Well, those are some ambitious goals of of the uh, kind of the genesis of of document crunch. Uh, I love that. I want to dig into the, the managing risk aspect, but before we really kind of go there, what's something that maybe you wished you had known when you started document crunch? Oh, wow. Uh, We could spend a whole podcast on that. So, (laughs) you know, it's funny. I just, you know, finished my my Q2 um, investor update for, you know, some of the VCs that are backing us. And I'm not a technical founder. Uh, I'd have never written a line of code in my life. I wasn't even like, funny enough, like I wasn't, I'm not even personally that into technology. Uh, Like I'm not like one of these people that always has all these gadgets or gizmos. I 
never really took much of an interest in, in you know, kind of technical or techie stuff. And uh, I've certainly never run a software company. So the idea of, you know, kind of formulating this, this idea with my co-founder, Adam, and taking it from idea to product, that was one thing. And that like lots of lessons to learn around that. But then the idea of actually building a company. And when I took over as CEO of the company uh, 15 months ago, actually, because, you know, we kind of launched Document Crunch as a side hustle for a little while. And then it ultimately got to the point where I needed to go full time. When I took over full time as CEO, there was two employees. Uh, as I sit here today with you, we're up to 20 employees. And in a year from now, we'll be at 40. And all it's a big growth. Of, it's, it's been a remarkably fast paced ride and there's pluses and minuses to that. But the bottom line, Todd, is my head is just constantly being filled with new experiences that it's hard to articulate how much there is to learn. Uh, There's the whole aspect of what a great product is. Like I didn't know anything. I didn't know what adoption was back in the day. Uh, I didn't know what churn was back in the day. You know, I didn't know that there were applications where you could watch people using your product and that there was real data to govern like how effective aspects of the product were. Then there's the people side. I mean, I've managed teams of people for the last five or six years of my career before jumping in here. I've never managed a team of 20 people before. Um, I'm not managing a team of 20 people now, but I guess the buck does stop with me. And, you know, um, but there's just everything to learn the whole venture uh, world. I, I wasn't a project finance lawyer. I had no experience doing anything like this. I probably couldn't have told you much about stock before starting this company. So what do I wish I would have known then that I know now? Um, I would say the list is pretty long. Like I, I can count as much success as we've had. Uh, it's, it's really built on the back of, of, of mistakes that you make every day. But what I always tell my team, Todd, and you know how I've always learned is I'm biased toward action. Like I think experience shapes everything. And so, you know, you could read about things or look up blogs or, you know, talk till you're blue in the face, but until you kind of get in the ring, uh, you're not going to learn as effectively as, as when you are in the ring. So there's that, I think it's that Teddy Roosevelt uh, poem, the man in the arena. Like I'm a big believer in that, right? It's really easy to analyze, but it's really hard to actually put one front foot in front of the other and do stuff. So, um, I wish what I wish I would have learned then that I know now is that my ability, my, my and I, Adam and I have said this before, are, are we have no dropping the ball in us. And that commitment to getting the job done has served us very well. And I've tackled something that I had no prior experience with, but probably the confidence I wish that I had the confidence when I started that I've gained overseeing that we can do this um, because, again, it's that, you know, kind of that makeup of who we are, those core values that we have. Uh, you know, it's amazing what people can do when they put one foot in front of the other and just do it, right? Just do it. And mm -hmm. I wish that I had more confidence because I feel like that confidence is probably making me a better overall person in all aspects of my life. And I hope that this confidence is what I take with me from this experience moving forward. And that's what I would tell people, like have confidence in yourself, have confidence in your ability to get it done. Like if you truly believe in what you're doing and, and that's also pretty powerful, Todd, the, the idea of really waking up every day and being inspired by what you're doing, it's amazing what you can accomplish. And so I wish I had that confidence because I probably spent a lot of time wasted on fear, being fearful of bad outcomes 
Um, which looking back on it, I mean, I'm a, I'm a lawyer. I'm trained to think through the worst case scenario. So, you know, maybe some of that was a nod to my professional upbringing. But man, I wish I had more confidence because I probably would have had a, a few better nights sleep just with a little bit more confidence at the outset. And just, uh, you know, just keep kind of executing and good things will happen. Even if what you know, even if what you start with isn't what you finish with, that's been probably the thing that I wish I had the most, that, that I had knowledge of back then, that I, that I could do this and that I was confident in doing it. Applied Software believes that heroes are built. The men and women of construction are those heroes. In an effort to honor the dedicated workers who build our infrastructure and future, Applied Software is seeking to shine a spotlight on construction by providing lunch to Lucky Crews as part of Food Truck Fridays. Want your company spotlighted? Enter to win lunch on Applied by following three easy steps. Step one, post a picture of you and your crew on LinkedIn. Step two, tag Applied Software in your post. Step three, use the hashtag HeroesAreBuilt. Your crew just might be selected to be part of Food Truck Fridays. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, you know, I think with the the confidence aspect of it, that comes along with learning from those mistakes and being willing to to go into the arena, like you said, and be willing be okay making those mistakes as long as you're learning and you're growing from that and you're you're figuring out what to do next time. And that's how you build the confidence. Uh, yeah, I agree. And I'll tell you, I think I knew this before. I think this is probably one of my, I think, strengths is my ability to form relationships. And I've always really been, you know, someone who forms strong professional and personal relationships. The ability to attract an awesome team, that's everything. I mean, if you want to go far, you've got to go as a team. And this is a team sport. So when I meet when I meet other founders that, you know, are these solo founders or they're struggling hiring and recruiting and stuff like that, like to me, that's a red flag, not so much because it's a knock on the founder, but it's a red flag to the business opportunity. And so, um, yes, you learn through mistakes and you certainly learn a lot when you surround yourself with really incredible people too, and you can de-risk a lot of mistakes. So, you know, it's just this, this idea of kind of connecting the dots and looking back on it, having this strength of building relationships, having this no like drop the ball, like kind of like mentality, like there's zero dropping the ball. Adam and I just, we've always just, you can rely on us. We're dependable. We, we get the job done. That's a pretty powerful uh, combination for founding a company. Uh, I don't know where Document Crunch is going to go. I can't, you know, project into the future, but I feel really glad uh, or, or I feel really satisfied and, and proud of where we are today on our journey and how we've gotten there. And, Frankly, it's it's because of the people we've surrounded ourselves with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. One of the other kind of parallels that is, is striking me is, you know, you, you talked about processing all these new experiences and, and learning all these new things and having so much kind of new incoming information coming at you. Uh, that's also going on in the, the construction industry right now with all the new technologies that are coming on to job sites and uh, being able to just have so many data points that you could collect on the job site or just all these little details and, and the, the changing workflows of construction right now that that, that creates an, an interesting parallel that you can go out and, and relate to the, the contractors that are are struggling with the same root uh, not 
problem, but the, the, the same root situation and experience of, of all this new incoming stuff. Um, have you seen that kind of play out and in, in when you're having these conversations to, to be able to, to relate on that level? I would say yes. I mean, I definitely think there's a little bit of this, you know, attitude or spirit of innovation that probably led me to found a company and that, you know, those companies that are adopting technology tend to have. But, you know, I always think about it. We talk about this on the Document Crunch team a lot, having a growth mindset and this ability, look, being open-minded. And I guess my point is kind of like where I sit today. I mean, I tell my team this all the time as well. Like if I want someone to tell me how smart I am, um, I'll just call my mom. But like otherwise, <laughs> like I have a really moms are good, <laughs> right. But, but, but my point to the team is you all are, you all can give me the real talk. Like you, you are, at, you, you are seeing things. And I think that people that don't have a growth mindset do themselves a disservice because you can pay attention to real information or real data or real technology to better yourself. And if you have the ability to do that, like, why wouldn't you? And so I guess to your point, yeah, like I definitely think there's a correlation that will be interesting. It will be interesting during this like modern technology uh, renaissance or, or, or revolution, maybe that the construction industry is having, it'll, it will be really interesting in 20 years from now to do a study of those early adopters and see like where they end up from like an overall company performance standpoint. I think probably more than the technology itself, it's the commitment and the willingness to be open-minded, to do new things, to be better. I think that that culturally is a really important aspect. And so I would say, Todd, it's funny. I was just on, we just onboarded a major new contractor today and we were on with their, um, some of their senior leadership. And, and, and I left the call being like, you, y'all like have the right mentality. Like you're going to be fine with my product. Like, you know, is my product perfect? Does it, does it do maybe every single thing that you want it to do today? Probably not, but like these people get it. And I bet you that that permeates other parts of their business. That's my bet. It will be really interesting when there's an empirical study that substantiates that. But yes, I definitely think there's like a little bit of a kindred spirit thing that goes on when you're on these calls or you're meeting these potential customers and you see those that are saying, yeah, like, you know, we, we need to be better. We need, we, we believe technology can make us more efficient. You know, we're willing to give this a try. We're willing to be biased toward action and not get paralyzed by analyzing that like something may not be perfect today. Well, like, duh. Like, welcome to like technology. Like, that's how technology improves. You get the customer feedback, you work together, you partner. I definitely think there's a kindred spirit that goes into that. Um, and so, yes, I think that I see that glimmer or I feel it when I'm talking to like-minded individuals for sure. And I would just, you know, say to anybody, whether you're buying technology or you're in your personal life or you're a member of my team, like being growth-minded, I find to be a very important thing. That's why it's one of my core values at Document Crunch, one of our core values you know, being open, being willing to be wrong, willing to evolve, willing to continue to push yourself personally, professionally, whatever it is to be better. There's something to that. And uh, I definitely feel it when talking to, to a segment of this industry, not the whole industry, but I think that the industry is getting much stronger in that regard. Um, mm. and, and this is kind of a really interesting time to be an earlier stage startup. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I, I think that the the tidal wave is is growing bigger and bigger too with the the growth mindset mentality in construction it seems like there's a a lot of momentum behind that um well, well let's dig in more into the the details of, of managing risk here so so practically what does managing risk what does that really mean and and look like in the construction industry 
That's a great question. So I think the construction industry, like here's the here's the deal, and I don't know what words I'm allowed to say um, on your on your podcast. So construction <laughs> is inherently risky. It's a risky business. And I guess since I don't know what my level of censure is, I'll just say stuff happens. Like stuff will happen on, in construction, like day to day. And so we know that, right? That's a, that's a tried and true kind of maxim. We know that construction can be risky. Ultimately, what the consequences of that risk means, or maybe I should say this another way, who ultimately pays for that risk, for those risky outcomes that may come to pass, is entirely, entirely, bound up in one thing and one thing only. It's the contract. Like stuff is going to happen and who pays for it is governed by or set forth in the contract. So mm-hmm. that's like a pretty powerful concept. And in fact, it's so powerful that we're called contractors for crying out loud. Like it's literally in the title of our profession, contractors. Um, so you think about that. And I think managing risk once you kind of understand that the contract is at the root of, of, of like ultimately consequences of risk, I think that it happens on several levels. You know, where people know document crunch like maybe most well today is, you know, you're bidding jobs, you're negotiating jobs, you're signing on the dotted line, whatever it is, like before construction starts, you should probably understand what risks you ultimately may have to pay for or how these things are being allocated between you and whoever you're signing up with. So that's like one side of it and managing risks like pre, pre-signature is very important. I mean, it doesn't mean that you can negotiate everything, but I'll tell you, Todd, I mean, I've worked for some of the biggest contractors really in the world and there are times where those contractors don't necessarily have negotiation leverage. However, going back to this whole like growth-minded theme, Don't you want to know, like, even if you can't negotiate, don't you want to know? And if you know, are there things that you can do, you know, short of negotiating that may help? I'll give you an example. Like back in my heyday, I remember very distinctly, like I was doing a project actually here in Atlanta and uh, the owner of the project didn't want to give my client uh, entitlement for rain delays. And it was an outdoor project. And I'm looking around like with the project executive and we had no negotiation leverage. It's another story. And I'm saying like, it's Atlanta. Like, I don't know what to tell you. It rains here more than Seattle. That's what the Atlas says, you know, whatever, you know, or the Almanac, I should say. So we couldn't negotiate, but you know what we could do? Put a little bit more fat in the schedule, put a little bit more cost in the schedule, you know, plan for increased manpower to make up time. So there were ways to, because we understood the issue, to make good business decisions around that issue, even though we couldn't negotiate. So managing risk before signature is definitely one thing. And that's what probably most people today know of document crunch, founded by a construction lawyer, yada, yada, yada. Typically we, you know, typically we're thought of as this is a tool that helps me understand what's in my contract before I sign it. And we, you know, I can talk about how that works. But what I think is actually the bigger issue and the issue that is quickly catching on with our customer base. And what I always envision is I'm thinking back to the days or pacing outside of my office as a construction attorney, managing the legal department of a major contractor in the US. I had people with their hard hats in hand, pacing outside of my office every single day, right? Whether it's a good contract or it's a bad contract, whether it's been well negotiated, poorly negotiated, whether the risk is high, low, the people wearing hard hats, the project management and other operators, they still have to comply with whatever that contract is in order to keep fee in the job, right? They need to give notice the proper way. They need to manage contingency the proper way. 
They need to know who's responsible for hazardous materials. They need to know what to do if X, Y, Z happens. They have to comply with, they need to know if there's a confidentiality provision, whether they could be tweeting out pictures of the job site or, you know, whatever. They need to understand that contract and comply with it day to day. And it's my great thesis, Todd, in having done this for over a decade, that this is the segment of the industry that's just getting crushed. They're getting crushed, not because of huge mess ups, which can happen. And that goes back to like, why hopefully you know what's in your contract and you've negotiated a good framework if God forbid something bad were to happen. But more importantly, it's all the little dinks and dunks of, oh, I was in an OAC meeting and the owner insisted that we have to pay for this. And I just kind of like, wasn't sure. So I just capitulated. So it's okay. Like we have some general conditions, so we'll just eat the $12,000 change or whoops. I didn't give notice right. And now the owner is holding retainage at the end of the job and saying that we didn't give notice for the terms of the contract. So why don't we settle on seven rain days instead of the 20 rain days that we actually, you know, suffered on this job, which, you know, we're not paying liquidated damages, but if we had those 13 days that we weren't giving up, like we would have been paid more on our general conditions or whatever, maybe. So Mm -hmm. anyway, it's all those little dinks and dunks that people, um, you know, kind of lose sight of at the project level that is the other side of managing the contract. So when I talk about managing risk or managing construction contracts, I'm not just talking about people in the back office before the contract is signed. I'm really actually speaking to compliance with the contract at the project level, making good decisions around the contract at the project level, winning outcomes around the contract at the project level so things don't spin out of control. So you don't get have to go back to the back office who's now saying, well, this 13 days actually cost us $200,000. Like, why aren't we fighting about this? Let's fight about it. Or, and now you're like in some mediation or arbitration or a lawsuit or just a cantankerous closeout to the project. I'm talking about all those little things that happen at the project level, because I believe the contract is a bit, you know, um, of a black box for so many folks at the project level. Hey, innovators. Is there a way to prepare your company for successful implementation of technological innovation? After over 115 episodes talking with some of the best minds in the construction industry, the answer is a resounding yes. There are building blocks that you can put into place that will form the foundation for your company to successfully implement technology. I have compiled my thoughts from those conversations into a new ebook simply titled Foundational Building Blocks for Successful Tech Adoption. You can download the ebook for free at our website, bridgingthegappod.com. After you have, I'd love to hear your feedback. As always, keep innovating. Yeah. So was the industry getting wrong at this point in this area of managing risk and and being able to to really kind of democratize the, the knowledge that's in the contract? What is the industry getting wrong? That's an awesome question. So uh, I think that at the field level, it's much easier to explain. I just think there's a lot of mis- like a lot of unforeseen shoot yourself in the foot mistakes being made, little things that lead to fee erosion. And we all know that this is not a very uh, profitable business right now. Like it's all on the margins. And so when you lose, you know, ten basis points here, twenty basis points there of your fee across your enterprise, like that can add up. And certainly across the enter- the, the um, the industry that adds up. So when the where the industry is getting it wrong in the field are those people in the field just don't have, in my opinion, by and large, a great understanding around their contract. They don't have they don't have confidence. 
And it's not a lack of acumen, by the way. It's a lack of confidence and, and something lost, like a lack of communication between people that understand this stuff and people that are running projects. So that's number one. In the back offices, it's my theory, Todd, that everything that we've done in this industry is based on totally subjective criteria. And what if, what if, again, let's go back to that whole growth mindset. What if you had the ability to use real data and real market intelligence to understand whether what you were signing was fair, unfair, whether it was, you know, your peers accept terms like this, how your insurance company feels about this, you know, that is really powerful because all of a sudden you go from this very siloed subjective process where everybody's just in their respective corners, just kind of saying what their positions are to like, nope, like you can look at this with market intelligence and understand trends and understand what is truly considered market or fair and understand that, you know, there may not be a next bidder for all of you listening who've heard, if you don't sign this, I'm going to the next bidder because we've all heard that. Uh, well, what if there wasn't an expiter? What if you now actually know that like only 7% of people have signed this term in the last six years or whatever it is, you know, so the ability to just like today understand what it is that you're looking at. And by the way, a lot of the companies out there, I don't know, you know, who, who listening this will resonate with, but a lot of our industry kind of just holds their nose and signs contracts or is spending an awful lot of time and money assessing contracts or both. Um, so, you know, starting with understanding the issues and then being able to benefit from market intelligence around those issues, I think is pretty powerful for people before they sign contracts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no, that makes a lot of sense. You know, one of the other kind of hurdles that I, I see in the, the industry, and love to get your thoughts on this, Josh, is the, the, the deck, it, it almost seems stacked against kind of true collaboration. You know, collaboration is such a kind of a, a buzzword. And I, I think it's, maybe because of one of these hurdles uh, and it, in from my vantage point it seems like it's stemming from the contractual viewpoint as well too so it's almost like you're you're kind of doomed to fail from the beginning because everybody sets it up that the, the framework is you're going to fail at some point you're going to mess up and we're going to slap you kind of with these uh you know consequences from that instead of kind of bringing everybody to the table and just kind of flipping this descriptive bit. Uh, what do you think from, from your thoughts and experience a, on that hurdle? Is, is that a reality? And then maybe B, what can actually be done to kind of bring down the silos that exist in the industry? Well, that, I mean, you just nailed it, right? So the opposite of siloed is collaborative. And so this idea here is if, um, if more people understand this stuff, and more people have confidence, you know, around this stuff and more people then have the ability to speak up around this stuff. And then, you know, all parties, everyone, everyone, everyone on every project every day has the opportunity to see like what the consequences of this stuff really is, like how this may, you know, it's not just like right now, you're right. The mentality of our industry is you just push risk down as far as you can, right? Everyone's like playing hot potato with the risk. But what if that ultimately meant that you got a schedule that was three months longer? Or what if that ultimately meant that the price was higher? Or what if it ultimately meant that the quality wasn't as good? You know, what if we just broke all that down and like really got to a single source of truth as to like what the impact of some of this stuff is and how does this stuff add up over time? I think that you would start to see a more collaborative, more value-driven approach rather than just playing hot potato with the risk 
And that's exactly what we are trying to solve for at Document Crunch. Like the byproduct of what we are doing every day, we're a world that has more contract intelligence is a more collaborative world and a world that makes, you know, common sense decisions as opposed to siloed decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what is that collaboration? What does that really look like to you then it, taking it from the, the, the buzzword into the, the practicality? Well, right now, I think the big silo that we're trying to break down is collaboration internally between those people who understand this stuff mm-hmm. and people that, um, that, that don't. So, um, you know, right now that's what we're working on. We're working on building a bridge between the back office and the field, but ultimately Todd, uh, when you talk about how data and, and market analytics will, um, you know, will come into play, you're talking about breaking down barriers, uh, between people on both sides of the table. So internal and externally, um, because you know, that data will be worth sharing, worth discussing and worth informing ultimately how you come to terms with somebody in and around a contract. So I, I think that right now we're very focused on internal collaboration, but then that ultimately leads to external outcomes, which will, you know, invite further collaboration among all stakeholders at the project level as well. Nice. Well, how do people find out more information and, and connect with you? Uh, find out more information. So we're all over the place, but a pretty good place to start is my LinkedIn profile. You know, Josh Levy, Document Crunch, if you type that in, I think you'll find me pretty quick. Or you can go to www.documentcrunch.com. Um, you know, otherwise, please, you know, interact with us, give us your opinions, try us out. Like we, we see a brighter future for this industry, uh, but it takes that open-mindedness, you know, to, to, to do things differently because this is different. This is not how contracts have traditionally, uh, you know, kind of been assessed or analyzed. And so, uh, you know, I think it's catching on reasonably quickly. So maybe some of your folks have heard about us from others, but you know, there's nothing to stop you from being biased toward action. No one likes the contract. No one likes the contracting process. Well, I'm telling you that there's a brighter future and we invite you to help become a part of our movement. Awesome. Well, final question for you, Josh, what does innovation mean to you? Innovation means to me to be intellectually honest, uh, in understanding what possibilities there are for a brighter future and taking steps to do something about it and not settling for not settling for conventional wisdom because it's easy or because you know, you're comfortable, but getting uncomfortable and striving to be better and doing something about it. I love that. And I think that really ties back into the, the whole confidence conversation in order to be comfortable in kind of that, that uncomfortability, <laughs> you have to have the confidence that that's okay. And the, the confidence that you, you, uh, you maybe don't need to, to prove that you have it all put together all the time that you can try new things and you're, you're willing to risk. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and that's great. Good insights there for sure. And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take, the ability to process new experiences and deciphering what is most important is a skill set that is needed and leveraged all the time in construction. There are so many variables on any given project that are changing or being managed. 
it is crucial to project success to be able to keep your head and systematically work through those. Second take, the growth mindset that we so often talk about on the show has an oversized impact on a company's ability to manage risk properly. I loved when Josh spoke about how he wished he had more confidence when he started Document Crunch. Isn't it interesting that growing in confidence directly parallels your ability to learn and adapt from mistakes? And final take, democratizing knowledge on a project, especially contractual knowledge, leads to increased efficiency across the board. So what are you waiting for? Equip your team and share the wealth. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software, at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is hosted, directed, and produced by Todd Wyant. Edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2022.